0: Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster who actually moved into the world of the media simply because, after meeting Leonard Cohen in 1985, I felt so transcendent that I decided I must seek out more of my music heroes to talk with. Apart from Elvis and Sinatra, I met most. And my hope in terms of these podcasts is that I can evoke for listeners even one-tenth of the joy... I felt being able to sit and talk with people whose music had been so central to my life. That certainly was the case one day in 1990 when I interviewed David Crosby and Graham Nash on the afternoon of a gig Crosby, Stills and Nash were performing in Dublin that night. Sadly, as someone who actually enjoys researching the subjects of my interviews, I was not prepared when at the last moment I was told that Stephen Stills also wanted to talk with me. But let's leave Nash and Stills until another podcast. Here I want to pick up on the part of the interview with David Crosby after we talked about the early influence classical and jazz had on his music, alongside rock and roll, of course. I remembered reading somewhere that people who come from a privileged background have a particular perspective on the world and that they can, though I didn't say it this way to Crosby, treat the rest of us as if we were put on earth purely to feed their needs and to add to the pleasures they see as their birthright. By the way, if you want to read the Crosby, Stills & Nash interview as printed, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.
1: We told we joked earlier about you coming from a, a rev- relatively privileged background. I did, yeah. My, my father was a so.
2: uh, a filmmaker, you know, uh, uh, a, a cinematographer, and uh, we were, I would guess you call it upper middle class, you know, right, in, right. in L.A., you know, and... They,
1: they say when you look, they say if you're dividing up the difference, I was just talking to Graham about his working class background, and he said that the, the opposites there helped you and he click immensely on all those levels, uh, chemically, musically, class-wise and that. Oh, okay. when, when you read of uh, someone from uh, a moneyed background, it suggested that you or they would have a kind of... Um, Look on the world as a plaything. That almost pleasure is your birthright. Elitist
2: kind of approach, yeah. No, no. I
1: don't only mean elitist. I mean like, and because it can lead into drugs and your other oh. excesses. Yeah. That you almost look on the world as this is there to give me pleasure. Do you know what I mean? Is that any? Did you? Think there that might was be your some of that because
2: I've always, you know, I always have wanted to have a lot of fun. You know, right. I've never had. I've never struggled. You right. know, uh, and I think it it did damage me in a certain way. I'll tell you exactly. Um, when I left home, I, I did, you know, experience being completely flat broke and okay. having to, you know, right. like work to get five bucks in a day was like a big day. That right. was like working basket houses in New York, right. you know, where right. you'd pass the basket after you sang and all whatever right. you got. Yeah. That was yeah. how much you yeah. ate that day. Yeah. Okay. You know? Well, I, that helped okay. a lot. Right. So did hitchhiking, you know, from New York to Toronto. So did, like, being out in the world and living in, you know, rough circumstances, having to support myself. That was all very good for me. But the fact is that I won very early, you know. Uh, even those periods of time, I was having a great time, right, you know. Right, and right. very shortly thereafter, I won in the birds, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, the brass yeah, ring dropped right yeah. squarely over my nose. And, and, and <clears throat> then bigger than hell, I won bigger than that, sure, you know, sure, in CSN sure. and in CSNY, and And so I never had long, protracted, you know, soul... Building kind of struggle. Well,
1: you had that later, and we can talk. About had it that. later on, yeah.
2: But what it did
1: was it gave me a uh,
2: maybe not, you know, maybe too too easy a, a time, you know.
1: Right, right, right. In terms of structuring the soul or getting some kind of yeah. substance down there, right? I
2: I think you know. I don't feel that I really came to that until until I was in prison. Right, yeah, yeah,
1: that's what I felt from the book anyway. That is the sense I got. I, I think it's probably true. Right, right, right. I, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if that's bad, good, but, or indifferent, but I think it's probably true. Yeah, yeah, but you also, I mean, uh, you, you, you were looking for, uh, I mean, I know you were drinking cough syrup at 16. Yeah. And this one of the kicks you got, and rum and coke. Was yeah, I always wanted to be loaded. You know I always everything? wanted to be loaded
2: uh, from the big very first... Mm, time I could remember it. I ate for the kick? For the for something. I don't know, man. You right. know, some of us are tilted that way. Right. I, right. I can't tell right. you. I can't explain it to you. I right. know that it was a, a natural thing for me to want to be wacko. Right. And, I, and I, I was. Every way I could be. From, from the first minute I could work it out.
1: Right. What about wacko? One thing I did get from the book was a sense of sexual reserve in terms of writing about it. Like, even when you talk about the first time with a woman, you don't even use the word sex. And you link it immediately to your mother, maybe knowing. Is there a kind of Puritan no. shadow hanging there? No, or I, just I, was,
2: I was, if anything, the most flagrant. Well, that's that out the window. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I man, I, I, my thing used to be to get into you know like groups of people right. and you know move hither and thither and yon. But and even
1: from sixteen onwards, were you that liberated, that uninhibited? Yeah, from the beginning. A sexually,
2: tremendously uninhibited person. Uh, I have whatever it is. I've done it, and yeah. and uh, and usually
1: enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah. And. Without the baggage of guilt that a lot of Irish people would feel in that kind of definitely. stuff. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. 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 I was out there, right yeah. out there. And well, then as I got
2: uh, more stoned, I got more kinky.
1: Right. And right.
2: I, and until I was like quite kinkified towards the end there um, uh, but uh, but even in the more healthier periods earlier on I, I was you know my favorite thing you know triad was you know yeah, to was three people yeah was, yeah i loved three people i thought three people did was, it matter about their sex uh, i turned out not no huh. didn't, it didn't uh i started out you know of course naturally thinking you know two girls one guy yeah, you yeah, know and you yeah. can do this and we can do yeah, this and yeah. i'll yeah. just sit here and it'll be great and you know I was terribly self-serving. I had no idea about you know making love and stuff. Uh, It was all very you know I was a very greedy for pleasure kid. Right. Right. But it turned out uh, later on, you know, that it didn't really. It could go either way, and it wasn't. Wasn't Didn't really matter. that bigger thing, you know, it was kind of a, a, a good adventure either
1: way. But doesn't one of your female lovers, I can't remember, maybe her name is Shelley, if I'm getting the name right, talk about how she felt excluded from your threesomes. That you can you have one shot and if she doesn't get it, she's a woman left dissatisfied.
2: That's that's you always I mean? been true, man. That's always yeah. been true. Yeah. The fantasy the, the harem fantasy is pure <laughs> fantasy. Any healthy woman can fuck any five guys into the ground. And right. no guy, right. no guy, no man that I know in the world can can really take care of even one woman. You know, let's tell the truth here. All right, okay, want to that's, that's the truth. You know, that's the real truth.
1: The rest is fantasy, right. sheer right. fantasy. Right. But of course, right. I lived in a lot of fantasy. Right, right, right. But they, but they. Uh, but so would men have felt excluded? Would they have felt? I mean, would you have been the one getting most of the pleasure? Would anybody have come back to you later and said, "David, that was selfish. That was did nothing for me." Or was it all? Or did you give a fuck what it meant to them at that point? You I so- probably
2: did, and I probably tried to be such an uh, you know a smiley little guy that that everybody you know would forgive me for my, for my greed. Oh,
1: <laughs> well, that always worked, didn't it?
2: Yeah, it always worked pretty
1: well. <laughs> Do you, when uh, when it's, would um, Graham have been holding to those threesomes? No. Graham's a pretty private guy about it. Is Yeah. Because, so, Stephen. But Graham talks about being in love with you, and that could be read as sexually, you know, and talks about you were nope. all in love at the time. You no. Know? We, there's no question we love each other,
2: but it's, it's been as human beings, you know. Right, right. He's an exemplary human being. Right. And I've learned a tremendous amount from him. Right, you know? right, right. You know, he's... He's got strength and, and, and honesty and givingness and an adventuresomeness of spirit that I find most admirable. Right. And I right. have sought to emulate him sure. in a lot of ways. Right. I, right. I, right.
1: I, right. You do write in the book, and also James Taylor talked to me about it, about how people who get hooked on a, on a drug turn the sexual hit into a substitute, and the person becomes only that. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't, isn't that part of the syndrome that people who use it when they glorify the use of don't always talk about it? that the recipient of your of your whatever becomes just another kind of hit for the drug you don't have or you're using with it.
2: There's that too. And also you become obsessed with it and on a very low level.
1: Sex. Yeah. Obsessed, no, obsessed with the hit probably more than sex.
2: I'm obsessed with the hit and obsessed with sex both. Uh, cocaine does that in particular. Part of the cocaine psychosis is to become um, very obsessed with sex and very... Uh, you know, if you look All at Freud's right. writings, and you can tell he was a coke addict. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's, you become obsessed with it, and you also get a little kinky. And depending on you know where you start, you get maybe a lot kinky. Right. But, you get, uh, you know, obsessed with it, and when you when cooking turns to freebase, your yeah. consciousness just gets lower and lower and lower, and more insistent, and more compressed until. The world is about as big as the light spilling out of the lamp in front of you. Right. You know, it's on the little glassware pieces and on maybe whoever's next to you uh, or
1: between your legs or Well the lights between her or his legs now and what you're receiving from it. The only light. Yeah. But doesn't it also leave you sexually incapacitated? Can't it? Which is the other side that people don't often talk about. It leaves you unable to do fucking anything except take it.
2: Noodle city. <laughs> you know. And heroin too, which I was like, I've been a stone junkie for years, you know, and uh, and heroin doesn't let you come.
1: Right, right. You
2: cannot, you, I don't care. Bridger Bardot and Jane Fonda together could not get you to come. <laughs>
1: you know. With one another and you watching.
2: We can, involved, dedicated work. Written for it. no, <laughs>
1: it still wouldn't work.
2: No. Noodle City.
1: Right, right, right. I mean, right. even
2: not necessarily Noodle City with with heroin, but you could
1: not come. So it's a fantasy life. Uh, but you did also you, you, you resisted. I noticed
2: we're sticking to the music
1: though. Yeah, I'm moving back to it now. It's <laughs> well, not very interesting to me there. <laughs> well, no, it's there's there's a logical link to it. You know the uh-huh. the uh, well, I mean things like even you want to go back to the birds like Eight Miles High, and all the history books are seen as the first psychedelic rock song. I mean how much of the music was shaped by the fragmented worldview, true drugs, true whatever. Lots.
2: The the effect later on I think was was probably detrimental. You know, I think I would have written wooden ships and Guinevere and those things and maybe a lot more. When I look when I look at critical mass, I think God, you know, if you've been actually willing to work at it
1: right. you could have written right. some stuff right. that right. that would have, you know, right. gone further. So would any of that be I wanna get the hit from the song? And I want to get it, as, no I don't mean a hit record, I mean the, the charge as quickly as possible. So you kind of push it to its conclusion when it really should have evolved in a different way.
2: I've done that as a writer for a really long time. I'm only All now right. just starting to really work on songs over a long period of time. I've been so eager to finish a song and show it to you and get the approval. Sure, you right, know, right. Say, right. look, look, look what All I've right. got, you know, um, that I too often just go with a first hit. Right, you know, instead right. of sitting there and saying, well, but wait a minute, you know, this is really an incomplete idea, or this is, you know, pretty arcane, or this is not really accessible at all. How do I, you know, make it work way better?
1: Right, right.
2: right. Did, um, did I'm starting to do that now.
1: Right, right. Is that
2: because you're clean now? And you have
1: to be clean. Or are you?
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. It's because I have a much longer attention span now right, right and because I'm an older guy and I've got you know more concentration on it,
1: and because hopefully I'm getting smarter did you know? the train influence come true eight miles high and would that have come from you? That
2: was direct, yeah 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 I played um, the particular specific song is Africa Brass, and I played it uh, uh, I was taken by it, just smitten by that song in particular right right and right. I, I played it. Uh, over, and over 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 again, and I played it in McGuinn's ear uh, endlessly. Right, I did the same right. thing to him with that that I had done to him before with uh, Robbie Shankar. Right.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I
2: turned a lot of people into Robbie Shankar. I, I, somebody just played it to me, and I went, "Oh man, that's beautiful." Right. I think I might have been the one who played it to George.
1: I think it. Well, I mean, that's almost. Accepted as fact, isn't it, that the beat was being influenced by the by the birds, by you at that point? I don't know. It might change have changed there. I think two, probably two or
2: three people played it for him, but that that particular one nailed me. And uh, the other one that I turned a lot of people onto was the Bulgarian folk music, right? right which was right. you know the the first of of those Bulgarian national folk choir and ensemble records, right? right. Which was a, just a total stunner, man.
1: Right, right.
2: That one I turned Nash onto that, and and.
1: We both just were like incredibly
2: affected by
1: it. So, is it wrong then when you see to have it just reduced to eight miles high being the first drug song? They should also look on the jazz influence and the art and the, the yeah, other reflections. You know what I, I mean? mean? Fragmented. There was also a real
2: good. Doctor, you what poor poor a focus fuck
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Give us another five minutes.
1: Do we have okay. another five minutes here?
2: Just sure. five. Because we're right in the
1: middle. The one thing we did talk about was the. Um, you can become self-serving through the use of drugs and be blind to political realities. I mean, we were just talking about sexuality, but political realities when, like, for what it's worth, was written. I mean, there was also that element of you didn't turn away and you had your tirades on stage against who killed Kennedy and what are the names and all that stuff. I mean, you, you weren't that closed off from what was happening. Society. Not then. Oh, well, later.
2: Later on, I got closed off. Back then, you know, there's a difference in different drugs and there's a difference in the in the length of time you do them. Uh, when you when you are doing, essentially, just smoking pot and taking psychedelics, you're still pretty alive. Right. You know, they may not be the best things in the world for you, but you, you're not really shut down yet.
1: Right,
2: right. Uh, you, you, pot can make you pretty lazy,
1: right.
2: but you're not really shut down as a human, I don't think. Um, cocaine and heroin, later on, heavy use. You, can, you, you could graph my awareness of the world, you know, uh, in, in a reverse curve. All right that right. matched the
1: increased curve of the, right, the dome. Right, But you did. You were responding the night that Robert Kennedy was killed. You you, you you, were inspired right out of that, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah?
2: Yeah, we all We all were all the way down the line. We were always like, we felt that there was, we had every right to respond to the world just the same as everybody else did, and if we had better tools to do it with, then tough. Who do
1: you, who do you finally think killed JFK?
2: Well, that's a good question. Um, my personal one? Yeah. I think uh, that uh, guys that were uh, independent contract operators that worked uh, jobs, the kind of jobs that the CIA would not right. do for themselves, right. you know, uh, right. uh, paramilitary guys working out of New Orleans uh, uh, did the actual work and were killed soon thereafter. I think it was paid for by H.L. Uh, Hunt. And I think it was uh, orchestrated by, you know, professionals
1: right.
2: who show, who I don't think we'll ever know exactly who right. they were. But you got to understand, this is a guy... Who didn't send the air cover in? Yeah, in, in Bay of Pigs, so right. that entire community would have done it for free. You don't have to pay them. Sure. All those people, all, right. all, all the right. CIA guys, and all the Sorry. lower level guys yeah. that w- did CIA dirty jobs, would have done it for free. All right. Okay. Okay. Because they all, they, all their buddies died on that beach, and I, I think you know he had made plenty of enemies. He didn't have to. Make the usual kind of deals that any president did. He had his own bucks. Right. Papa Joe gave him the bucks, you know, and so he was very dangerous to the established people who have been running the country and the world, you know, for for since I can
1: remember, the people who have all the money. So how much of a ter- how much of a turning point was that for people? I mean, the people because we were saying earlier that you can turn into yourself. That a lot of young people at the point saw everything fragmented when John F. Kennedy was killed, followed by Robert Kennedy and Martin Luther King. And everybody just gave up hope on a particular vision. Of the I don't think we gave give
2: up hope. Then it takes a long time to give up hope. It did blow us loose from society. We ceased yeah. to believe that we could work yeah. within the system. It's taken until now for us to get back to wanting to work in the system. Now we, you know, we we're staunch constitutionalists and people who go out and try to get people to vote. You know, we have a, like a voting registration booth at every gig we ever do.
1: Right. Um,
2: some of us work for candidates, even. You know, um, and we work for a lot of. You know causes. Uh, we try to work within the system now, but back then we, we pretty much felt that we'd been excluded
1: from the system, that the system had failed us. Right, okay. Yeah, I think I should talk to Stephen there.
0: Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to read the article I wrote out of this conversation with David Crosby, check my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.